podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome to Macklin's Take, everybody. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope everybody is well. And today we've got the kind of episode that we we particularly enjoy, I think, in a lot of ways. We enjoy all of them, of course. Myself and Matt Macklin, who's joining me as always. And we like getting the big names on. It's entertaining to hear from them. But it's also really, really instructive uh, and very good fun to hear from bona fide boxing insiders. And we've got one of them with us today, 100%. Now, this is a man whose face you will recognise. You'll see it in rings in the background. You'll see it at press conferences. You'll see it at weigh-ins all over the place, all over the world, really. Probably and thinking, who is that guy? <laughs> I see him everywhere, but I don't know who he is. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That man is Al Siesta. Al, we see you a lot. You're a promoter, manager, matchmaker, agent. And it's always good to see you because you've always got a smile on your face. Uh, you've got a very upbeat attitude to the whole business. So just tell the listeners, tell the people listening to Macklin's Take, who you are, where you've come from, and what you do. Guys, first of all, pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It's incredible. It's a big honor for me because your podcast is really hot, I reckon. Yeah, first of all, anywhere I can lose money in boxing, I'll be involved. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> but just trying, you know, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog situation, really. And I'm trying my best to deliver for fighters, deliver for promoters, deliver for everyone. Mediator. Um, Inspired by Quentin Tarantino, Mr. Wolf. Do you remember that guy? <laughs> Winston Wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, just overall love boxing to bits. And uh, if I can help to promoters, managers, fighters, and help myself, obviously, and have a great time on the way, that's right up my street. So, so, so where did it all start? Because you've taken the name Al Siesta, but Al Siesta is not your real name. No, it's not my real name. It's actually my DJ name because for 30 years I've been doing music. I was a musician, producer. I love it. <laughs> and, a, and a recording artist. And my real surname is very long Russian surname, which is unpronounceable. And I understood Come on, give that. give us a go. Give yeah. us a go. <laughs> yeah. Albert George Kachatsurov. Okay. Yeah, okay. this is my real name. Sounds crazy. And so some people say sounds Japanese at the end. That's how long it is. And I understood that when I came to the British bank first time, just to open my account, and woman couldn't do it. She couldn't pronounce my name. I thought, right, okay, this is no goer straight away. So I'll siesta because people thought I'm Cuban or Spanish because of my accent. And I thought, that's great. Let me just incorporate that. And I'll be Al Siesta. I love that name. Fiesta is too cheesy and corny by siesta. What siesta? So that's it. Al Siesta from then. 30 years I've been out here yesterday. Good man. So, so why the UK then? What brought you here? And tell, I, tell us a little bit about your career as a recording artist. You can't just throw that grenade into no, the mix and not talk about a bit it. Of that. It's, it's a very quickly. So I, studied, I came to study in Southampton University in 1994 uh, from mafia-infested, very hard Russia cold with big changes, perestroika, Gorbachev, horrible times. So I came to England, loved the weather, honestly, because I came in the summer and I realized that I don't want education, I don't want to study, I just want to stay here in this country, just enjoy life for a couple of years. And um, 
never studied music in Southampton University. Literally seven months I dropped out and um, started to work in the circuit with big garage artists like MJ Cole, LJ Bookham, and doing recording stuff and just enjoying myself playing in bands. Um, and then when I turned 40, I realized that it's all over for me because no fun anymore. You can't be a grown-up man wearing jeans, ripped T-shirts and going playing music like that without getting paid. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, <laughs> uh, but all the time, whilst I've been doing music, boxing been following me. This is God's honest truth. First of all, I remember in communal houses, I, I remember watching pay-per-views in England. This is the first thing I discovered for me because in Russia we never had that. It's all on national television. And I remember watching Costa 2 fighting um, Ricky Hatton. And I remember uh, Lennox Lewis fighting Hasim Rachman. And it was like a big refugee home full of Russians and Polish. And I remember we bought the pay-per-view and watching, staying till really early in the morning. And I loved boxing all my life, but I never knew I would end up in boxing for one second. So... But it's been following me. Everywhere I will have recording studio, boxing gym will be next door. And one day, about you, seven... Do you see it, you see it like a, as a sign? Like a, you know. I never recognized that in the beginning before my wife pointed out because I used to construct studios for living doing acoustic engineering and soundproofing. And everywhere I will go, there will be a boxing gym that will cause problem for my project because it's really noisy. They're punching bags and they're screaming. So when I said to my missus and she said, maybe you need to look into it. And, um, but really, someone asked me to take a fighter to Moscow one day, seven years ago, because the trainer was very old and the manager didn't have passport. And it was Nathan King, of all people, our journeyman, who I took to Moscow to fight. Good fighter, Nathan King, a Valley's fighter, isn't he, from Wales? Tough, tough fighter. Very, very yeah, tough he, journeyman. He was a good amateur, national champion, all that sort of thing, and then turned pro, won a few, then you know started losing a couple, and then just went into that sort of... No, I wouldn't say journeyman, but gatekeeper level, high level, high level journeyman. He's a you tough know, guy. give anyone, he's a very a, tough especially guy. your prospect turning pro, who was you know really, let's say, a decent prospect. But you know Nathan King would definitely give him all he wanted. Do you know what I mean? And, and teach him he, a trick or two. His Welsh manager was a very old man, and he said, "I can't travel to Russia. I've got no passport." And his trainer had some problem with, so they asked me to accompany. He said, "Oh, you're Russian, aren't you?" I said, "Yes." Can you accompany one of the fighters to Moscow? So we flown to Moscow, and believe me or not, that was Grigory Drost fighting Jeremy. This is my first boxing encounter ever. It's Andrei Rybinsky, massive national television show. So I, I knew I'm going to Russians kind of to back home. I wanted to see my parents as well. So I was dressed well and didn't speak any word of Russian on purpose. I didn't want Russians to know that I'm Russian. And Russians thought that I'm a big shot, so they start giving me all these cars, and I thought I'm some sort of English promoter, manager, who bringing people in. That was my encounter. Only money on the way back on the plane, I'm thinking that's what I want to do for a living now. <laughs> we allow, we, we're not allowed to swear on the podcast, no? You can say what you no, want. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, Peter Buckley, Don Benzie, and, 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 and I'm, I'm known to curse every now and then myself, so don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. We're not squeamish on Macklin's take. Yeah. Honestly, we're I was informal here. so tired from music at that point, so I thought, you know what, well, F it. This is what I want to do. It's fantastic, it's glamorous. I love talking, I love socializing. And this is very similar to show business, extremely. Boxers, same as musicians and artists, all think they're better than they are. They need looking after continuously. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is just right up my street. So really, I had 30 years of experience probably running the show business thing. 
So when it came to going back to Russia, it's interesting there, the kind of tactics you, you employed that you didn't want them to know that you were Russian. So when you left in 1994, so you were a young man when the Soviet Union man, collapsed, yeah. Yeah. basically. And I guess Klimas is, is doing the same kind of job as you, right at the top level of the mm. sport. And it seemed to me that when that happened in, in the early 90s, the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, was it was a kind of a, a land of opportunity. We talk about boxing being the Wild West, but it would appear that at that point it really was the Wild West. A lot of people got really rich really quick. Difficult to trace exactly how it happened in yeah, some of those cases. I know I mean, exactly was, how it happened. What was the country... Well, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what was the country like at that point? And was, was going through that... Once, when you've been through that, did you just think, you know what, you can lob me into any situation and I will survive I won't just survive I will thrive yeah you know it, it's slightly older my generation than my generation Eggie's a bit older than me so um, there was two groups of immigrants one went to United States another one to Europe mostly Germany but in England England was a very rare discovery first of all you couldn't get the visa I remember getting the visa I had to lie that I'm going for massive film and lighting exhibition I had like a bible thick paperwork and when I got the visa I remember having loads of rich people in the queue to the British Embassy like Range Rovers, Lamborghinis and things like that waiting for their children to get accredited so they can go and study in Oxford or Cambridge and they, their visas got refused but somehow I was a young man I sailed through yeah and um, yeah just got my visa crying on the plane I remember couldn't believe my luck but Aegis's generation they went to states and I heard in America, whilst you're immigrant, and maybe ignorant statement, you're always an, in, an immigrant. In England, it's much better you kind of incorporated into the life because it's lots of Asian people, Chinese, black people, Eastern Europeans, and a small place. So it's like a melting pot. In America, it's a bit different. The communities are still split. And those kind of rich, get-rich-quick people, this is the people who are in their late 50s now and early 60s, they were fortunate because Russians just was for sale. All the factories and everything got privatized and people used to come and raid that in and just conquer pieces of like that type of stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Doggy dog situation. And um, yeah, that's what it is. In terms of sporting opportunity, lots of sportsmen, art people, film directors, ballet people, or whoever it is, they left for Western world as well. And I was a young musician, so I loved... Sting, Peter Gabriel, and house music and dance music. And England was a mecca for that. So I thought, I'm going to England. Because that's where the land of opportunities for music. I didn't think boxing at the time. Hey, 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 kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! music when I live. Matt, we talk a lot about the kind of schooling that a fighter needs, but 
in terms of the kind of schooling that a, that a trader or a businessman would need, the one he had, young man in the, in the Soviet Union, a time of epic change. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. Oh, Perfect fa- preparation for what, boxing. What a, what a fantastic apprenticeship. I mean, you know, it's all, about, it's all about knowing people, you know, knowing people's desires and what people want. And, you know, I suppose emotional intelligence. Yeah, kind you know, of. Yeah, and situation, knowing how situations play out and uh, having, you know, <laughs> swam out of the, 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 deep, the deep seas. <laughs> you, you, you know, you learn how to swim, you learn, you know, you're thrown in the deep and then you learn, you, you, the ones you come out are, are real survivors and, and, and you learn certain life lessons at a young age because you're thrown into certain situations at a young age that you're probably not, re- most people go through the whole lives and don't experience. So, you know, you come out of that, you, there's, a, there's something in you, isn't there? So tell us about how you went about making your name we know about that first trip to Moscow now with Nathan King how did the kind of how did it build from there how did it progress from there because we, we most of the fighters the big name fighters that you've worked with or been around uh, are Eastern European fighters a lot of them are from probably a similar background to yourself so you would have you would have known better than anyone probably although you weren't in boxing about the potential of all those new countries and that the athletes they were going to produce because it's not a coincidence that Eastern European fighters now there's a bit of a takeover going on so how did it all happen for you? You know I remember flying back on the plane with Nathan King and he introduced me to BoxRec I never knew anything about that website or anything I was an absolute novice but what I understood I Whilst being in Russia on that boxing show, by the way, Pavetkin is here, and Max Mikhailov, his matchmaker, was the first guy who saw me there. He remembers it, and he got, he discovered a year later that I'm Russian because I never spoke Russian before. He was absolutely blown because to find out that I'm a Russian guy. So I just saw that opportunity. The architecture of business is quite simple. It's all about who you know, of course. And I have an obsessive nature. I get possessed about things. Same as with music, I, you understand? So with boxing, I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to do it on a very high level. I want to deliver as many fights as possible. Let me find a fight that I can work with. And I went on box rec, and I was literally governed. Right, okay, Russian boxing is good. I knew from Olympic days and things like that. And <laughs> I'm just laughing here. I've just had a, like a, you know, a flashback. And I remember thinking... I remember I was able to go, I used to get these texts all the time. I got this fighter and there'd be a list of about 15 fighters with their names, records. And I'm thinking, who is this guy, Al Siesta? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's giving me brain damage texts every few days. All these names. I've just thought about that then. And I thought, I thought you know, you're a persistent man. I mean, in the end, I couldn't oh, think, I Obviously, I, knew, I, I realized who this guy is then. And I thought, who is he? And then I, I remember texting you, Matt. I remember texting you. Because they said to me, yeah, this is the man who looks after most of the Irish fighters. Yeah. And MTK, this guy can make a decision. I'm thinking, right, he's my target. <laughs> You know what I mean? So you were going through, you were looking for fighters. Yeah, I was looking for fighters, and I tell you what, so I, I didn't know emotionally what I should be governed by when I looking at the fighter. And I remember opening Russian box rec and looking at welterweight division and seeing David Avanisian standing at number one. And I look at the place of birth, and this is the same place where all my relatives coming from. And I'm thinking, that's another sign. I've just been successfully converted to boxing by this recording studio boxing gym sign so this is another sign guy was born exactly guy, 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 guy's origin is from the same place where all my relatives are and 
you would not believe. So I literally, that was my criteria of targeting the fighter, not how good he is. So then I went on YouTube, started watching, uh, watched his um, clips, and he was fairly decent. A year later, the guy becomes world champion. This is another weirdest thing. I took him to England, worked in the studio very hard to pay his bills, rented him a flat, looked after him, drove him everywhere, took him to Kelbrook to spa. Again, as you were targeted, Matt, lots of other guys been targeted. Like, can, you can imagine. So I was literally like icebreaker, just navigating through, getting myself a gig, taking him to spa with Chris Eubank, uh, spa with Kelbrook, and David was fantastic. They all loved him. So it was easy for me to work. And it's so interesting that because I remember finding out about Avanesian and you think, how is this? Is he Armenian? He's Armenian, yeah. How has this kid come from Armenia to Newark to train with Carl Greaves and he's managed by Neil Marsh? Yeah. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it's him. <laughs> it's Al Siesta in the background with delivering all this. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's yeah. A, that's Winston exactly Wolf just working away, making it making it happen. It's interesting you said there about how you kind of selected him. That makes sense to me because the first time you meet him, you've got something to say to him. You've got you've got a common bond there. Andy, I had to lie to everyone for six months that he is my cousin because I've been warned, man, this boxing is a very dangerous sport. It's a dog eat dog, so you need to look after your fighter. So I thought what is the better way than say that he's my relative so no one will attempt anything so yes I'll, I passed him over to Neil Marsh and um, Neil been looking after ever since from so when David became a world champion in Monaco in Rodney, on Rodney Berman's show uh, I was there ringside it was a fantastic occasion and I must admit we navigated David pretty quickly and he was my first learning curve to understand the business and my problem at the time was I was extremely emotional. I used to take everything personally. Every, and now I'm completely different. So, but the, the business of boxing will harden you up. You'll get thick-skinned in boxing. You yeah. can't stay hypersensitive for too long. You just won't last. It's, uh, and we've all been there. You know, you know what I mean? You're young and you get emotional. You take everything to heart, everything personal, everything's against you. And then you realise it's not, you know, it's just business. Exactly. And you just get thicker skin and you just learn to roll with the punches. Exactly, exactly. So that's what it is. And with David, it was my first preparation to do some big things. And then my massive chapter in my life, me being in boxing only for 1.5 years, literally not even two years, I'm thinking, I want to do something crazy outside the box like no one done and go against all odds. Meyer is British, Latvian, non-boxing country, small Baltic state, never had, just never had anything, just kickboxing. And I, saw, I remember seeing British and thinking something about this guy. And God is landing my gig for me. Manuel Char calling me and saying, oh, have you got any heavyweight that I can fight in Chechnya? Because Ramzan Kadyrov, the Chechen president, doing a massive tournament. It will be a good purse, you can earn some money. And I know you're kind of up-and-coming matchmaker, very hungry dog. Let's do it. Yeah? Let's do it, brother, he goes. I'm saying, let me, let me have a look. And I'm calling British because I wanted to introduce myself. But I took, it, took that as, as, as an excuse to give him a call. And I said, oh, do you know any heavyweights? He goes... To fight whom? I said, Manuel Chark. He goes, yes, I have one. I said, who? He goes, me. And, and that was your plan. You made him think it was his idea. I, I didn't. 
I didn't think Brady is ever going to offer himself. But it was good foot in the door, if you know what I mean. I could, I could start talking to him, and he goes, I'll fight Char. I'm saying, no way. And then he goes, yeah, so I called Char again. And I'm saying, there's a guy called Myris Bridges. He wants to fight. He goes, cruiserweight. I'm saying, yeah. He goes, I'll call you back. Then later I found out, apparently they fought in kickboxing, and Bridges whipped his ass. Yeah? And Char wasn't ever very optimistic to fight Bridges, but his promoter said, okay, bring him on. And that was my first and serious entry into professional boxing when Manuel Cha got sparked out completely in round five. He gum shield flew and, and he was laying on the canvas like a someone shot a boy in a hunting kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? That's what it was. That's what it was like. <laughs> and that was, my, that was my debut, loud debut. Do you know what I mean? That's what considered my proper debut. I know this show's Saturday night. Um, you've made two of the matches on the, on, the, on the card. And I remember, I think it was the fight we were here in July. I think you had five or six guys on that card, was it? Right? My record is Amir Khan's bill. I had eight on the undercard, literally like 80% of the show. And I kept looking at Eddie Hearn thinking, this is just coincidence. <laughs> this is not a special try, do you know what I mean? Because sometimes when you go really... I mean, Paul Reddy, first no, of but all. But then when you, you see, when in something like that, you think, you know, I'm, I'm an... I'm an important part of the, the jigsaw here. You know, I've, I've, I've contributed quite a lot to this show. Without me, this, you know, this fight would have been made. That wouldn't have happened. You know, sh the show would go on, but you can see that you're certainly playing a significant role in, in, in the show being put together. It, very important for me because it, I don't want to brag on about this, first of all. Secondly, I want to stay modest and humble because if not for Paul Reddy, the matchmaker of matchroom boxing, I never had an opportunity. Paul said, you know what I like about you? You're crazy. And you go to the extra length that no other matchmakers won't. But what you, that, that, just what you're talking about right there, yeah. Paul, already, the, the relationship. Yes. And, and that, I think, throughout history, even though times change and box reckon and digital age and everything, having good relationships is still key. People you trust, not just trust, you know, they're going to pay you on time and all the rest of it, and then they're going to be reliable, but that you trust their their opinion you know if they're telling you this kid can fight or this kid can't fight you you, you, you learn to now that guy knows what he's on about he said this and he delivered it so i think certainly in boxing which is a global sport as we always talk about having those relationships with people who who's uh you know who, who you trust and who you trust their, their competence and their opinion it, it, it's crucial absolutely vital matt i fully agree absolutely vital if not for paul which is he just materialized right there I'm just talking about you. <laughs> I'm just talking about you. <laughs> it's fight day, by the way, yeah, for Lomachenko against Luke Campbell. <laughs> that, that's the, the card that Matt uh, was referring to that Al has made some of the matches for. And we're just underneath the stairs. Luke Campbell went past a, a few moments ago. Martin J. Ward, other fighters as well, just milling around, killing a little bit of time. And it's interesting what you said there, Matt, about the personal side of things, because that, that is still massively important. Some people think that over the last few years with social media and, and different types of interaction that it's not as important a skill as it used to be but if anything it's more important because if people say to me how do I need to get into this business if it's, if it's what I do I'll say to them get a number for someone and call them up or go and doorstep them don't just send them an email or send them a tweet 
get in their face because you have to meet people. If you meet someone, they will remember you. If you send them an email, they don't know who you are. You're faceless and getting in people's faces. That's what Al Siesta does well. <laughs> Listening to Al talk about how he was persistent, how he kept going. Like you know, I, I know that I know myself how persistent he was. Like, to the point, of, who is this guy that keeps texting me? You know what I mean? And I didn't know who he was. And then I, you know, I kept seeing him at the shows, kept saying hello, and, I, and it was for, it took me a while to put the name. Do you know what I mean? I, didn't put I remember exactly that, where it happened first time. It just yeah. clicked, but it's it is that personal. You know, you know what? That's a decent fella, or he's reliable, or he said he'd do. You know, I, I wanted to, let's say you're making a match, and he delivered a guy, and he said he, he was tall, he said he'd run out of steam, or whatever he said, played out. He was so I know that I can trust this guy's opinion, and you know, we got John Peg on before John Pegg's, You know, a good friend of mine, but also a good matchmaker, very well trusted, uh, real good, all round good guy, very he's good man. Been around the gyms, and you know the. Over the years, if someone said, you know, threw a name at me or, you know, this guy and I didn't know it, I know I could ring John Pegg. And if John Pegg, I could trust what John Pegg told me. Not only, you know, is he, is he coming from a, a place where I do trust him, he's got no agenda, mm, but I, mm. I, I trust his competence, competence, I trust his judgment. And, uh, and, you know, that, but, you know, building up trust, building up relationships, that takes time. Very important. You know, so it's... it's um, like Alan says, he's been around, he's knocked the doors, he stayed persistent, he was going anywhere, he's taking lads up to gyms to spa. You know, that's all part of your journey, all part of your story, it's all part of the relationship building process. It, it's a very important for me. It's a very important for me because also being a musician and being in the studio before, I was going and observing what trainers do, what matchmakers do, what promoters do. And it's funny enough, the aspiration kicked in about three years into the business that I don't mind promoting myself, I remember thinking. I probably could have done that, so remember thinking about this. Remember speaking to you, Andy, all the time about even commentary, television production, because obviously I was working as a musician with the studio equipment. Everything interests me about boxing. They are lighting, the parameters, the specification. I'm obsessed about this sport 100%, 24-7, 24-7. And when I see the guys texting me like I've been doing to you, Matt, so my courtesy is to reply because I remember the emotional feeling that I used to go through hoping that the guy on the other end going to reply and give me that chance. So I always reply, always reply and always text back and always trying to give advice. Obviously, I'm realizing that they all green like I was, but I realized that potentially that person who is on the other end texting me now has something special for me. So I think that's... That's always the way I do it. If, if somebody asks me for, for some help, then I always give it because people people did it for me uh, a few years ago, and, and you don't forget, and you never know where people will end up. You know, paths lead to lead to paths, as Matt always likes to say. So, what was it like though when you were getting a foot in the door? How were other people with you? Because boxing is a cutthroat industry. It is dog eat dog. People will stitch each other up at the drop of a hat to the point where it, it can be very counterproductive. I remember talking to, to Mickey Helliot about this, who's been on the London scene for a long time, very experienced guy, and he just said, there are some people in boxing who they are just incapable of telling the truth. It's just in their nature to lie about the smallest thing. You can ask them what time it is, and it's midday, but they'll tell you it's 5-2 or it's 5 past because they just can't tell you the truth. And there's, there's a lot of kind of short-term mentality to it where people will just think, I can stitch up our siesta and ransack him for as much money as I possibly can today, not thinking that if they don't do that and work with you, you can both make a lot of money in a few months' time. How did you find it all? Completely, completely. You know what, this is an absolute truth we just mentioned, but 
at the beginning, it was overwhelming. It was incredible, and I was very green because what, being a musician, you're not a businessman, isn't it? You, you don't understand that. So I used to take everything personally, everything emotionally. But I had one massive help. My biggest help, it was that I come from Russia. And because you come from Russia in this business, it's almost like gives you that substantial background security thing that you almost guarded. This, this Russian guy, he's a new face. Someone behind him. Do you know what I mean? This is, do you know, Matt, how it works? It's a mystique, isn't it? There's an aura about it. Who's he representing? Yeah, exactly. Who is he, who is he representing? And it was because I was well-dressed, always like smiley face and stuff like that. But that, I remember that really helped me. But because I also knew lots of people from my show business days in Moscow and lots of business people and lots of underworld people as well who I could have really called all the time I mean in theory and get advice and say listen this guy that's what he's doing to me what would you suggest and the suggestions obviously always were not what we would do in England <laughs> but, you know, but that, that would give you that would give you that sense of security do you understand what I'm saying and but I learned to navigate over the years and I learned as Matt pointed that out earlier it's all business at the end of the day. It's nothing personal. But in terms of people who can't tell the truth, we have about 75% in boxing. I've been modest here. They just can't, they don't know how to tell the truth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing in boxing, I suppose, in life, in business, whatever, but you, you do get the smash and grab guys that I think about today. But I think the guys who last are the ones who... who, who who are honourable, who, who know that the, the most important thing out of a deal is that their name is, is kept good and their reputation is kept good and they're, they're seen as someone with integrity and honesty. And then people will always deal with you. You know, maybe maybe someone pulled the wool over your eyes on that particular one deal. But you know that's he's blackened now. I'll never work with that person ever again. Correct. You know, and his name, anyone who speaks to me about this guy, I'm going to tell him, don't work with him. He, he'll, he'll, he won't. He's dishonest. He'll rob you. Where I think if you if you stick to your morals and you stay, uh, you work with integrity and honesty, and and, and you're, you honour a deal. You make you know your word is your bond. You, sh- you shake your hand and you stick to what you say. Then th- these are the guys that last. The other guys, these smash and grab guys that come in and pull the wall, pull a quick one. Short yeah, they, size they, of the fair. They might have pulled. They might have, might have had you over on that deal, but they're, they're, their days are numbered. You know they're not going to last. But if you stay, you know if you fly straight. You stay, stay, stay that way. You know, you'll, you'll outlast all these people. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you must have some stories, though, in uh, terms of deals that you've done, in terms of situations that you've found yourself in where you're struggling maybe to get your guy paid or people are reneging on deals and finding yourselves in back rooms, all sorts. Hit us with a few. All sorts of stuff. But I can tell you, another side to it, Matt, absolutely correct, but there's another side, bad-mouthing. Do you remember that one? When someone is very honourable, but all those dogs competitors would bad mouth to the fighters that don't work with this guy, you can't trust this guy. So I learned when someone tells me something bad about the promoter or manager, I have to have my own personal experience. I need to work with. Take as you find yourself. Yeah, take as you find. Because you're right, you do. You get a lot of that in boxing as well, and I think it's important that you don't become. You do just because you get burnt once or twice. You don't want to become overly cynical about everyone. Where you think everyone's because because there's there's some there's some sharks out there, and there's some real good guys out there as well. So you don't want to you want to give everyone a fair crack of the whip. And uh, but if you've heard it, it's, it depends who's telling you as well. I think if there's a person and someone says, "Listen, this guy's hooky," you don't want to deal with him. Who's telling me that? And what's his agenda? Where's he coming from? Has he got an agenda in telling me this? I always try and weigh things up like that. And then, you know, but we hear two or three people who I know are good people because they've proved, they've 
proven it to me over the years and they're telling me, listen, you don't want to work with that guy, then that's a bit different, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But in terms of stories, I can tell you little mystique like this, very short and little. There are four very big promoters in this world, European promoters, not even American. I'm banned from two of them. I can't even come to their shows. I can't do any matching and we do not communicate. But I can tell you, in Europe, for me, Matchroom, in terms of honor, productivity, creativity, is a number one promoter. And that is the reason why I work with this company. And they are literally, I learned everything from Matchroom. Everything, from their shows, the way they do business. And it's, it's a Cambridge Harvard education for me because they are the best at what they do. So who are the two that have banned you then? Uh, <laughs> I had to ask. Oh man, let me tell you that I'm trying. I'll be honest as well. I'm not. I'm not trying to slid away from it, but I'm trying to mend that relationship. As 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 I pointed out, I was so emotional. I burned those bridges. I had fallen out because I didn't like the way they dealt with me in the past. It wasn't very nice. Completely, I can tell you that. But I'm trying to mend that, and because I'm now in forg- forgiving streak. I, they should do the same thing and we should move on and try to do business again. I, I you know? think it's very important to always try and build bridges, not burn them. And, and, and if there's been a fallout, I think, you know, what was my part in that fallout? You know, because usually there's, you'll have played some part, even if it's 10% and they're 90%. And, you know, and I think if you go and you, you mediate, and you can ch- try and say, well, listen, I was probably wrong at this point of view, but you, you know, you've done this, I didn't like that, blah, blah. It's always good, especially in the business you're in now, where you're 100%. relying on getting on with everyone, and you're relying on having good relationships, and relying on having good reputation. I think it's, it, it is very important that you try and get along with everyone, and, and you don't have to be best friends with everyone, but you, you just got to try and, uh, you know, be amicable. Definitely. So what's your experience of the US market been? Is, have you largely been European-based so far? Have you taken fighters over there? I have taken fighters. I went to Miami show once and uh, with Mike Perez. And, but I never worked in the United States yet. I'm going to New York on 9th of September because I helped to make the deal with Zahur Abdullayev against Devin Haney. And um, I'm really looking forward to that fight. Um, I don't know. So how did that happen then? How did that happen? How did you get involved with Zahra Have You throw these things out there. That's a big fight. That's a final eliminator for the WBC lightweight title. So yeah. mandatory for whoever wins. Uh, one of the mandatories for whoever wins between Luke Campbell and Vasily Lomachenko. You just toss it out there like, yeah, I'll make that deal. How? how? I tell you, I, lo- I learned about Eddie's psychology. You need to throw something at him and it bruises like a flower. Do you know what I mean? He will forget or he will pretend that he's not interested. And then with some time, when circumstance will come around and Abdullah is a mandatory challenge or whatever it is, he will carefully react her on WhatsApp. That Abdullah guy you mentioned, what is he doing now? <laughs> that, that, kind of, that kind of text, you know what I mean? So that's how you know this is the start. This is the start of the situation. And that's how, because I knew, I know Titov's family, his promoters and Russia Copper Company. This, these are the people who are behind Abdullah. They're very close with me. By the way, this is the people who stayed Kovalev stage Kovalev yard fight. So, and I said, leave it with me. We'll make that deal. Tell me what you would like, what the terms of the contract you would like, and I'll try to deliver. Just outline little shape of the building, and I'm going to bring everything else. So that's how it happened. And actually, it was very quickly we finalized that we're going to do that fight. The contract took a long time because of the WBC uh, mandated this Lamachenko 
with Campbell thing. You know, it's, the, the, the shape of the deal kept changing, but overall the agreement was there in place. So it was kind of pretty straightforward. But you know, well, not bragging on my own trumpet, but we, I've done a few like this, you know what I mean? And I'm very proud, but I'm trying to keep it quiet because I want to move on further. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. So how did you get hold of Abdulliev then? So what was it about him? Was he another one where you, word of mouth, obviously plays a big part in things. Early on it was box rack. You were just doing your own research. But someone like Abdulliev, because when I saw him high up in the rankings, probably about a year ago, maybe not even that long I was looking at the rankings. Uh, and I'm always happy to admit it if I haven't heard of a fighter. I've heard of most fighters, but, but not always. And I remember looking at his name and thinking, OK, we've got Teofimo Lopez there, we've got Luke Campbell, we've got Devin Haney. For this vacant title, if Garcia vacates, we've got Luke Campbell's probably going to box one of Haney or Lopez. Abdulliev, don't know too much about him. So how did you get hold of him? I always advise to my Russian friends, if you're in WBC rankings keep putting WBC silver title on. So it always will get you to the very top, eventually. And Abdullah is a decent fighter. He fought Henry Landy. He beat Henry Landy. And he's a, he's a strong, strong... I don't know if he's good enough to beat Haney. I'll be honest with you. Russians... Hundred, the, the good thing about Russian character, they fancy Abdullah 100%. 100%. They're fully behind him. And because he was highly narrating, he was a WBC silver champion, and he was, I think for some point, he was a mandatory challenger for Luke Campbell or for the vacant title. And Eddie kept the honor. Eddie could have done something different. He could have dismissed Abdullah and done some moves with WBC, which would have left Abdullah outside. But he delivered his word, what he promised me, and he said, I like Abdullah fight. Let's do it. So he kept Abdullah as much as we did with WBC in the rankings on the very top in order to make this fight happen. And it's reality now. It's on 13th of September in Madison Square Garden. You know, so it just was, I was, I came into the right time at the right place with Titovs and I offered my services in order to make that fight. And this is my privilege now. I can do that. It's not necessarily for me to take the fighter from the very beginning. I can just look at the situation in rating and think, okay, okay, we've got Richard Comey, we've got this guy, that guy, I can make that happen. Let me call that promoter. So now I think strategically, because I learned about this business. So, Do you think there's a kind of bond between fellow countrymen working in the same, in the same business? Is the fact that you're Russian, and does that make dealing with other Russians easier? Because people might assume that it does, but often it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. Minor differences can be a big, big problem, can't they? Rivalries, which part of the country you're from, they might be more suspicious of you, if anything. Fantastic. You know, Andy is very intuitive. He asked me the question. Andrei Rybinsky, I was banned for two years from Russia for being Al Heyman's agent spy. Was that true? I never met Al Heyman. I never seen him in my life. <laughs> let, let me tell you, they said, this guy speaks very good English. He doesn't look Russian. He lives in the UK. 
and he's with English promoters. What and is he's he doing Al-Siesta. on Russian? Huh? <laughs> and he's called Al Siesta. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is, that's like a guy off a James Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what, what is he doing on our Russian shows? Why are we seeing him here? Why is he talking to the fighters? Why fighters are smiling back to him? Why everyone signing contract? Why, because I, I've done matchmaking for Rybinski twice. And the lady who works for Rybinski, director of boxing, she asked me, she said, Al, could you tell me something? Why are fighters so easy with you? Why are you bringing contracts signed? Why is it so quickly? Why are you doing everything so quickly? Is there financial interest? I'm saying possibly, but you know about that financial interest. I told you how much I'm getting. She goes, is anything beyond that? I'm saying, I don't know. They're so paranoid. They were so paranoid to see me there. So I was banned for one season not to come to Russian shows. That's, we're talking about Rybinski shows. And in fact, me and World of Boxing, we're a bit of a nemesis in a good way. So, so they're around this weekend, aren't they? They are, with, with 100%. They are. This is another bridge to make again, to mend. So we had <laughs> <laughs> a healing weekend for Al. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you see them across the foyer and you kind of exchange looks and it's like a Western? It's like No, a but you see the thing is, because I can't, I've got, man, we come with peace. <laughs> I bring love and fighters in Russia know me and Alex Pavetkin get on very well. I, I've got great relationship with most of the fighters, which doesn't mean I've got great relationship with their managers and promoters. But with World of Boxing, I'm trying to mend that, mend that relationship. I've got great re- relationship with Titovs and World of uh, and um, Russian Copper Company and Titov Boxing and some other promoters. World of Boxing is something we're trying to mend and it's going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction. So it's all it's all moving. You know, it's such interesting stuff. I, I've always really enjoyed seeing Russians, Ukrainians, the Eastern European crews around fight weeks because they just bring something a bit different. You look at Povetkin and his team, and they're just a bit different to Lomachenko's. Lomachenko's are quite are quite smiley, are quite are quite fun. Povetkin's may well be as well, but in public they are stern. Image. And it's even the gear as well, the track suits, you know, everything about them is just, I look at them and just think, whoa, yeah, they, they are look, serious. It, they fellas. look pretty stone-faced, don't they? Almost like the old, almost like it's the old USSR boxing team coming to town. That's what it seems like. Oh man, it, they, they, they are, they are. They're nice guys, but Povetkin himself is an absolute gentleman. Very humble, loveliest guy. Really, really nice guy. The team around is all image, all Cold War. It's just, you see the cliche of that. I mean... Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about. It's almost like... It's almost stereotypical. Exactly, it's, exactly. It just hits that perfect stereotype yeah. that we all presume. They have to have the haircut as well. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, Max, you don't have to do that. <laughs> do you know? Is that on their part? Is that slightly deliberate? Do they do they know that that kind of gives off this kind of aura? Are they different behind it's, closed doors? It's just is like it all game face? I, I think it's just the Eastern European culture, maybe. I mean, just whilst you get to know them, they're very warm people. But at the beginning, when you don't know each other, it's almost like the less you smile, the more macho you are. Do you know, it's a really weird thing. It's almost like a smiling and being polite is a sign of weakness. I think maybe not for me because my father is Armenian. Hence the David Avanisianis link. But in Armenian culture, we're very Mediterranean. We're very, like, very huggy and kissy and all very happy. But Russians are a bit cold, but they're very nice people behind. So in Chelyabinsk and Kovalev Yard, Umar from IFL said to me, the people are incredible. Everything I've been told before is absolute bollocks. 
it's I, I'm having a great time. It's very they're very very nice people. We are very warm Russians, but when it comes to official ceremonies and the government meetings, this cliche kicks in, as Matt pointed out. So I think I think that's what it's, that's what it is. <laughs> so in terms of the governing bodies, you mentioned the WBC a little bit earlier. That that's an important relationship to try and engender with with any of those four. If you're if you're in the position that you're in, and again, boxing being the unique sport that it is, they all have their own rules, and they they can all essentially do whatever they like. How do you find dealing with them? WBC is my family. I tell you why, because of Myris Bredis and the chances they gave me with build him and make him a world champion. So Maurice is a good close friend of mine. We're same age, believe me or not, so we just get on very well. And but I didn't narrow down myself just to one governing body because I realize I like it or don't like it. There's four of them, the big ones, and I need to have a great relationship with everyone. So I work very closely with IBF. I work closely with WBO. I love WBA because um, Gilberto Mendoza is a maverick, and <laughs> he's, he's a maverick, as you know, a very interesting guy. And I've got great relationship with a European office, but I never done a WBA title yet. In fact, I've done one uh, all throughout my career in boxing. But I work closely with WBC, IBF, and WBO, do regular titles, and keep very good relationship with them. Respect their rules and regulations, and they are developing. They are developing. We're all developing because I think boxing gets cleaner. I mean, arguably, people say it's a dirty sport, but I do believe new, like a doping legislation's in, and we're talking more social media, helping to expose certain things, and it will be harder and harder and harder to be dirty and be dark in the sport. And I think the evolution of the sport amongst fighters, managers, promoters, and the governing body one day will bring us to that ultimate apogee of a clean and divine sport. I'm hoping. I'm not sure if it will be in our generation, but I mean, I think I think every, everything is developing in the right direction. You know? Do you think almost that boxing? Boxing's very honest. People will laugh when, when I say that, but the honesty to it is that everybody accepts what it is, the beast that it is, and how it works. Football, for example, and I love football, but you look at football, it's got this big overarching organising body in FIFA, and everybody looks at boxing and says, oh, boxing needs one of them. For certain things, yes, but it's not like FIFA's reputation is all that rosy, is it? Well, boxing doesn't pretend to be anything that it isn't. Everybody knows how it works and how it doesn't work. And that's just how it is. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Yeah, and it's like, you know, if you don't like it, you know what you can do. It's, it, it, I mean, and I, I do believe that the, the some of the uh, some of the 
I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think of the word. I suppose the way boxing is that sort of, you know, maverick, chaotic, cloaks and daggers. These characters and, and anyone can just suddenly become a, a part of it. I think that's the I key, Matt. Anyone the, can become a part of it. It's an open door that anyone yeah. could walk through. You walked through it after yeah. your music career. Guys, it's a very sexy sport when it comes to it. Everyone. That's that's probably the word. Exactly, it's just, it's just so intriguing. I remember years ago, I was—I I mean, I, I watched this video. I, bu- I burnt it out. I watched—I watched that much. I was obsessed with it. It's called Champions Forever. You know, about Hagler, uh, about Frazier, Muhammad Ali, the great heavyweights. But there's a bit in it at the start where Joe Frazier is talking about why he loves the boxing, and he's—you know—he's on a—he's really going into it. Loving, you know, the boxing for me. He said it's been brilliant. It's my life. He said, but you look at boxing. He goes, he's got. Kings, queens, robbers, musicians, the gang. It's just, he said he's literally from royalty down to the bottom of society. It hits every single branch along the way, you know what I mean? It just covers the whole spectrum of society like no other sport does. And it's, it's just got it all and it's that excitement. Or, or as Al says, it's, it's sexy. It's just, it, and, and anyone can get into it. That's the thing. Anyone can just start from the bottom and just as they're ambitious and they've got good people skills and they work hard and they'll travel and they'll build relationships they can climb that ladder guys classic example I was musician for almost 30 years I never sat right next to tiny temper and big artist here I am in boxing ringside sharing the seats with these people on the equal par it's incredible you, the, the, there's no any other sport like boxing, 100%. But as you pointed out, Andy, earlier, all about personal relationship. Everything. Everything is about personal relationship. You're getting stitched up, personal relationship. Someone helping you out, personal relationship. Unfair decision, personal relationship. Fair decision, personal relationship. You, can, you can't get the title, personal relationship. You're getting all the title, personal relationship is all about personal relationship and sometimes the fighter who's better on the day not necessarily forgive me for saying that commercially viable to progress to the further stage because everyone is looking at the bigger picture and the loser on the day will get his opportunity later on the line this is very complex maze which is wonderful sexy beautiful and as Matt just described is highly contagious and we are all addicts that's absolutely right. Box, that, 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 that was, you should just drop the mic and do a tour of the do a tour of the lobby. That was absolutely. You summed it up perfectly. There. You summed it up perfectly. It is contagious. It is. It is highly, highly addictive. And uh, one thing that we must ask you about, because you just mentioned there, fair decision, unfair decision. We commentated on what was a wild night a few weeks ago. Maris Breedis against Gravatsky oh. in the World Boxing Super Series at the Arena Riga absolutely banged out because he is a hero over there mm. they come out for him in massive numbers and he had this extraordinary encounter most people listening to this would have watched it against Grovatsky where he hit him with an elbow a solid elbow and then he was banging him around because the, the, the round went on far longer than it should have done Andy Scott interviewed him in the ring at, at the end of the fight and was very diplomatic because I know he was under pressure from the organisers not to because it could have been a riot could have been a riot if he'd been disqualified by the referee it all went off that night it was it was like a it was like a wild no, west wild saloon west, everything and gone wrong <laughs> and you're in that breeders corner and you're watching this mayhem what are you thinking right first of all i wasn't in the corner at the time yeah but i watched it on tv and i know latvian crowd and i know latvian public 
guys, we, we've been in this spot for quite a while now. What would you do in this situation, Matt? Tell me. Say, for example, you're a referee. You see that elbow going in. You in Latvia. You are working the fight of a national hero with all these medals, policemen, with a full house, with the World Boxing Super Series, Zauland event promoters who are also backing him up. What would you do? What do you reckon? Well, I know what the referee did do, and I understand as you <laughs> set the scene there, the pressures that he was under, but I also would like to think if I was that referee that I'd, I'd, I'd apply the rules that I was, of the commission that I was representing, which I, I don't know, was it WBC or... WBO. WBO. Yeah, yeah. That it, you know, the, I mean, the bottom line is he intentionally and blatantly elbowed him. And it was, you know, out of the clinch. And he and definitely stunned him quite significantly with it. Then he followed up with a couple of shots when the ref let it on. Then, <laughs> then, then the fight went on. I mean, it was, it was mental, really, wasn't it? I remember me and Andy were commentating on it thinking, is this, like, is this really not going to get pulled up? It was, it was unbelievable. It was crazy stuff. It was crazy stuff in front of this absolute sort of kind of baying mob of a crowd. And it, in many ways... I, I understand why the ref battled it. Yeah. I get it, you know yeah. what I mean? But... For the other fighter, um, what? Gravotsky. Gravotsky, yeah. I remember thinking, how hard Dunlop must he feel? The funniest thing, Leon Margulis, he is a lawyer for the World Boxing Super Series and he also a manager for a promoter for Glavatsky. You should see his face because they show that. He looks at his friends, which is all in the events, and he looks at the ring, he realizes in his head, I'm representing both guys, and honestly, I don't want to use that word. He was like, he, he just like, he, he, he didn't know what to do. He just kept looking at everyone. He didn't know where he was. He could, but I can tell you that it's all stamped from Glavatsky kept hitting Bredis uh, on the back of his head before. And I've noticed that. And then Bredis, I know his character very well. That elbow came. It was intentional, but it also was, he's a bit of a wild dog when it comes to things like that. And, um, which is no excuse. And probably the justification in the ref's head was, yeah, but Glavaski did hit him on the back and it was like, he should have at least did that. I don't know about this. I don't know where don't you go know. with this. I, right I don't know, Matt. I don't know. <laughs> look, look, he just elbowed him blatant. <laughs> but the reason, and Harry wasn't disqualified. I, I'll really? never know. Well, the reason I brought it up really was not to get into the specifics too much, but just because, in a way... The craziness of it, the chaos of it, just kind of summed up the the best and the worst and the madness and the beauty of the sport. Because yeah. you're in Latvia, which is somewhere 20 odd years ago, you wouldn't have found a fight like that. Really, really impressive modern arena, huge crowd, massive tournament, light shows, great fighter and breeders, brilliant fight between him and Gravoski, and then just total carnage, almost <laughs> right from the start of the fight, total carnage. And you know what should happen, but you understand why it's not happening. And, 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 and we kind of accept that because it all washes over us. You show that to someone who's following a legitimate sport, if you like, where there are loads of set rules and regulations. You show that to someone from the All England Lawn Tennis Club. Snooker. They would lose their, they would lose their mind. They would lose their mind at the very idea that this could happen. No, no, totally. They would be like, what? WTF? What the fuck is going on there? And, 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 and we're in and around it and know it. And we're thinking that. We, all, we also know, like you say, we understand why it's happened. But we, and at the same time, still can't believe that it has happened. 
that was happening before our eyes and we're actually commentating on it. How do it make sense to this to the viewer? You know what I mean? It's just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Like, and I know you're Brady sees your man, and, and but, but I just thought but, I, I just couldn't believe. I it. have question. I have question. How far away do you reckon in our sport? You know the sport very well. Where was VAR? Where was the VAR on that? <laughs> how far? How far are we to get to that stage when we're gonna get to that stage when it's actually will be called off? Bridges would have been disqualified and blah blah blah. How far are we from that? You reckon? I'm not will, sure. Will that ever happen? Tell me. I, I don't know. Well, I, I think that. The thing is that when people, you touched on it earlier, Matt, when people, uh, and I did it at the time because that's my job, but when you look at it objectively, it's a classic case of it's always very easy to say that somebody should do something if you're not the one who actually has to do it. 100%. Because we're dealing with human beings here, and the referee, I think he, he just to use this as an example, he did believe, I think, that Grabowski had gone down a little bit easy and was maybe play-acting mm-hmm. and that the elbow wasn't as solid as it actually was. But the reality of the situation is he's standing there in front of, what, 20,000 Latvians who are going absolutely mental for their local hero, and he's going to chuck him out, is he? Is he? Is he really? It doesn't mean that he's corrupt. It doesn't mean that he's been given a brown envelope. It means that he is a person. He is a person with nerves and and, and fears. Exactly. And who, quite, quite frankly... Would have been absolutely shitting himself in yep, that situation. That's what it is. <laughs> without a Comes doubt. to primal instinct. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So and, that, and, that, and it's it's really that simple. That's what it, it is. is. It is. It comes down to that. You, you, you're dealing with 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 actual people, not machines. Mm. So we won't keep you too much longer, Al. But interested to get your thoughts on what it's like promoting because you do do that too. Uh, and we were talking about the small hall scene just recently and how important it is that it keeps thriving, it keeps flourishing because fighters need fights and they're not all going to get on shows like the one we've got tonight. How difficult is it? I know you're always chasing TV and you're always you're looking to do deals constantly, but without, without TV, how hard is it to, to, to make any money off those shows? Guys, without TV, it's impossible to make any money on promotion. You consistently will lose loads of money. And if you've got family, it's no good. It's almost like an addiction. You might as well go to casino and play. But, but the promoter is officially, in my opinion, the hardest job in boxing. The hard, apart from the fighter fighting, promoter is the next, the hardest. He lives last and he gets paid last if he can ever going to get paid. But I love, it's another challenge. I love promotion game. And this is something that I'm looking to do in the very, very near future. Yeah. You're like a kind of high-stakes gambler as a promoter, aren't you? Everything you do is, is a risk. Everything you do is a risk. I mean, even at this kind of level, we're, we're looking at a pay-per-view tonight and, and okay, the arena's sold out, which we kind of thought it would, but, but you don't even really know how, when you're in this bubble, how much appeal Lomachenko is oh, it's educated gambling got. how it many is gambling gonna, it's yeah. educated high stakes gambling that's exactly what it is and you hit the nail on the head there Andy bang on but in the small halls as well difficult things can happen I know you had a show a couple of months ago maybe where you had to pull it right at the very last second almost because security didn't arrive yes right at the very last second I had my, I had Versat television network debut boxing social live debut first ever for boxing social and for myself <clears throat> i had all television set all the outside broadcast vehicles bbc standard crowd was there everything was there 
and security of 20 people didn't turn up. Not one, two, three, four, 20. So I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. But it's a good sign. It means like possibly it was a sabotage and possibly I'm on the right track and possibly I'm now at that level that let sabotage CS the show. He's been making some moves, which arouses me even more. Do you know what I mean? But the, the fact that <laughs> you, you suspect that that could have happened just shows what a difficult kind of world it is that you're that you're in there. Yeah, it's just boxing. <laughs> As Matt said at the beginning, we're in boxing. Anything could happen in boxing. People getting elbowed and winning the titles or whatever. That's a small thing. Do you know what That's I mean? Minor. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. That's why we love the sport. Boxing is like life. Anything could happen. But in the short term, something like that must be pretty be pretty hard yeah massively take because the fighters would have been there people have bought tickets and all of a sudden just everybody loses in that big financial hit massive financial hit but i'm recovering and i'm thinking to do another show and i will make announce shortly we'll make that announcement shortly i will come back stronger you know me matt knows me i'm a pestering guy so i will pester everything relentless relentless that's a good word that's a good word so i will get where i want to be in god's will well, Vasily Lomachenko just walking past behind Matt towards the lift, away to our right-hand side. Everybody just milling around. This is the fight hotel. Charlie Edwards we saw a few, a few minutes ago. They've got time to kill on fight day, fighters, and it can pass pretty slowly. I wouldn't have thought that Vasily will be off to the venue until, it's only a short walk away, probably until about eight, quarter past eight, something like that. Two questions for you before we go. Favourite boxing moment memory so far and the most comedy boxing memory moment the funniest thing that's happened to you they could be the same thing of course the most comedy moment is Cedric Pinou fighting Conor Ben the face of Eddie and Paul Reddy when Conor Ben got knocked down <laughs> so he was one of yours was he Cedric Yes, it was brilliant. They stood up at the same time and I saw them looking, looking for me, you know what I mean, around the ring. That was very funny. And um, obviously I had to have conversation with Cedric and Cedric said to me, please tell this guy to stop trying to knock me out and everything going to be okay. So, so, so that was that was funny. Did you, did you know that Pano was, was Man, a lot better I said than to Eddie, I said to Eddie before, I said, he's a European kickboxing champion three times. He goes, thanks, fuck, he doesn't have to use his legs. <laughs> that was a banter for him before he realized. And Tony Sims said, he's got very kind face. I don't like that <laughs> on the way in. Do you know what I mean? So that was, it wasn't like, it was the, because um, there's not much banter in what I do. But that was very funny because I saw everyone is looking for me at that particular crisis moment. And the most incredible. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying, man? <clears throat> and, um, were, you, were you planning your exit? Trying to dive under the ring? Or just no, no, no. I literally see that havoc and promoters area, so I knew, I knew that I need to do something. So that was the one. And, but in, in fairness, Conor Ben done fantastically well in that fight. And that was the breaking point when he's shown that, first of all, he's worthy of investment and he's got bollocks and he can fight, which he is raising in my eyes every fight he has because if I fancied for Luther Clay to face him now now I'm not sure because he is actually improving and the best moment in my life is when Bredis fighting Marco Hook for the world title in Germany and I hear WBC ruling announcement of the scorecards after the round 8 
and British is sailing. I knew that we pretty much arrived. And, and it was like the overwhelming atmosphere building. I made the world champion. I made the world champion. I took him. I am a promoting manager. This is my WBC champion. It's a crazy feeling. But I'm trying to contain myself because in my religion, we don't get excited. We, we're just keeping, keeping, just like take it as it is because so much hard work you've done and dedication. <clears throat> so it should be coming. So just enjoy that moment. And this is another chap chapter you need to cross off. So that's how I felt, but it was overwhelming. Brilliant. Alice has been great fun. We'll do this again at some point a few months down the line, because I don't think a week goes by in the world of Al Siesta that doesn't contain at least seven or eight good stories. It's been hugely entertaining. It really has. OK, thanks very much for listening once again. I hope you're enjoying the variety of Macklin's take. That, that's what we're trying to do here. We're not always looking to discuss the same subjects. Every week we just want to try and bring you something a little bit a little bit different. So do, do give us your feedback, do give us a rate on iTunes. Please subscribe and, and, and spread the word because we're going to keep these coming. It's, it's, uh, it's great fun, it really is. So we will catch you again next time. Get someone sneaking round a corner Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 